0: This is episode number one of the Unnamed General Aviation Podcast with Jeb Burnside, Dave Higdon, and Jack Hodgson, recorded Tuesday, august twenty second, two thousand and six. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.aroundthefield.net. I've got I got I got
1: a two-word answer for that question, and the two words are
2: air conditioning. What great timing for the guys in the light sport business to have gas prices go rocketing out of sight like this.
0: Well, here we are with the uh, first episode of our General Aviation podcast, which is actually right now, it's still the No Name podcast. We, uh, it's one of the things we ought to talk about is uh, what we're going to call this thing. But uh, but maybe the first thing we should do is introduce the people we have around the table this time. Uh, it's actually a virtual table. Uh, uh, we're all at different places around uh, the country. Um, and I, I should say just at, at the outset that the three of us uh, here know each other because we're all members of the staff of Air Venture Today, which is the show daily newspaper that EAA puts out at at, uh, at the Oshkosh Fly-In every summer. And for many years now, we've been gathering there uh, and putting out the newspaper and having a great time talking about airplanes and, and whatever. And that's sort of where the podcast came from. We decided that uh, it might be interesting to take some of the conversations we have about the industry because there's all these different perspectives from these people who come from around the country and put out the paper. And we, we basically
1: decided to to visit this torture on others.
0: <laughs> exactly, and so uh, well on that note, let me introduce the first person here. That's that's Jeb Burnside, and uh, Jeb is uh, is the uh, now. Let me get this straight. Your your title at AirVenture Today is managing editor.
1: Managing editor. That's because
0: right. I think someone called you editor this this past summer, and you corrected yeah, them very quickly.
1: That would not be correct.
0: But in addition to the work that you do uh, there at AirVenture Today, tell tell us about uh, tell us about Jeb. Uh, what okay. are you up to?
1: My my main gig is uh, serving as the editor-in-chief of uh, Aviation Safety Magazine, which is a Belvoir uh, publications uh, product. It's a monthly 32-page magazine, subscription only, that focuses on uh, uh, the the post-solo student up through the the, uh, heavy twin driver. Uh, uh, Occasionally we'll talk about jets. But mainly the, the primary focus, I guess, would be the 500-hour the and up general aviation pilot driving a piston or a turbine uh, piece of equipment. Um, I also work uh, for AvWeb um, and do their uh, twice-monthly, or I'm, I should say every other week, business aviation coverage, and uh, um, have some other irons in the fire from here and there, uh, both uh, writing and, uh, and policy uh, Matters. I've been in the Washington D.C. area almost thirty years now, and have done. I've worked on Capitol Hill, et cetera. Uh, So I still have uh, uh, some policy uh, work that I do. Kind of keep my hand in the till, as it were.
0: So, so you have a little bit, a little bit of connection in the. the A little bit of
1: connection and and a little bit of knowledge, and uh, Uh um, some of that will take you a long way.
0: And where are you talking to us from tonight? Where are you? I'm in
1: Springfield, Virginia,
0: which is near your home airport. Is
1: my home airport is Manassas, Virginia. It's where I base my airplane. Springfield is uh, in the northern Virginia suburbs of the Washington D.C. metropolitan area.
0: Great. And the other person sitting at the table tonight is Dave Higdon. Dave is uh, also a staff member. He's the uh, staff photographer, responsible for a lot of the wonderful pictures that you see uh, in the newspaper and in the web version of the newspaper. If you check it out during the uh, flying. Hey, Dave. Evening, guys. How you doing?
2: Well, it's uh, un- uncharacteristically comfortable for August in Wichita, Kansas.
0: <laughs> that's right. You're, you're, you're talking. You're, triple, you're, go ahead.
2: Didn't break triple digits today, so the density altitude actually stayed south of uh, four thousand feet for a change.
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the work that you do when you're not in in Oshkosh.
2: Well, I'm I'm a little bit like Jeb. I'm 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 a guy that's knocked around a long time and hadn't been able to maintain a steady job anywhere for a while sure. uh, actually i'm a full-time freelance writer and photographer uh, have a uh... small gallery and studio in uh, wichita kansas uh, i shoot there at uh... oshkosh for air venture today i have twelve of the last thirteen years shot for the show daily at oshkosh uh, in between uh, Right now, I'm writing primarily for World Aircraft Sales, which is a business German magazine published in London, England, uh, and Kit Planes here in the good old USA, which has uh, been around over 20 years covering uh, the, the Kit Lane community the people that people would build and home build and buy kits and fabricate from nothing. And uh, In between, I do some commercial photography, photography, uh, do some editorial photography, uh, some studio work, like uh, small-town photographer here, shooting people's portraits, and, uh, and uh, run, help run the uh, the uh, photography gallery, which is our our, our store here in Wichita. Right. Other than that, try to fly whenever I can, as much as I can, even if it's an OPA.
0: Okay. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, do you have a website for your gallery or for your photography business?
2: My photography, uh, DaveHigdon.com, is uh, the, the only thing in play right now, And uh, www.DaveHigdon.com. Uh, you better spell Higdon for us. H-I-G-D-O-N, Hotel India Golf Delta Oscar November, just to make sure that I come through clearly. Uh, the gallery will have a website up here in another few weeks, but right now it's just a URL with a dead end under construction sign.
0: All right oh, and and quickly, I should say my name i 'm jack Hodgson. Uh, i 'm a, a writer and a media producer and a, a pilot uh, i 'm not nearly as, as as tuned into the aviation world as, as you two guys are, um, but I am a long time VFR pilot and uh, um, i 'm actually sitting in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts right now, uh, and uh, I fly out of the uh, budding
2: pod producer
0: yeah, a budding pod producer that 's right. And if anybody wants to see what I'm up to, my website is jackhodgson.com. That's J-A-C-K-H-O-D-G-S-O-N.com. And I'm not going to try and give you the phonetic. Yes, I'll screw it up. Anyways, let's get down to business here. I, uh, you know, we, we did talk a little bit in advance about what we might, uh, you know, uh, the subjects we might touch on tonight, but I'm going to throw, I'm going to start out by throwing in one that, that we kind of glossed over. Um, and that is Oshkosh, the, uh, the fly-in, the AirVenture fly-in. Um, you know, as, as you said, we've all been there a bunch of years now. And in, you know, it's funny, uh, technically speaking, we just came back. But if you're like me, it feels like you've been back for a long time. It seems like a long time ago. But I'd like to, you know, quickly, what are you, what were your impressions about the AirVenture fly-in this year? Anything stand out in your mind? Uh, either of you?
1: Well, I think generally, just each year the show gets, you know, perfects itself, if you will. It becomes uh, it's better run each year. Uh, there's uh, the schedule is even fuller each year. There is even more to see and do each year. Kind of makes you wonder what what they'll do to top things next year. This year compared to last year, I think it's it's. Um, not as as good in the sense that you know we didn't have Spaceship One this year. Of course, it's kind of hard to do since it's it's uh, uh, hanging in the Smithsonian now. But uh, there were a lot of of firsts that were present at the show in uh, 005. That's not to malign 06 in any way. But it, again, the show just gets better and better every year. It gets it's better managed. Uh, there's more to do. Uh, it's just a phenomenal event all the way around.
0: Dave, you have a. I've always admired the perspective that you get on Oshkosh because you're one of the people, one of the few people to get one or, wear one of those fluorescent vests and get to go out beyond the flight line and and get a different view. What did you think of the fly-in this year versus past years? Well,
2: it's funny. There's there's this uh, you know pre, de, departure briefing, if you will, after Oshkosh every year. How was it? And you know, was it as good as last year? Was it as big as last year? And and when you get right down to it. There's the the there's the numbers way to 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 gauge these things and 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 Oshkosh is a yardstick in that way, but then there's also something a lot more elusive. It's a buzz factor more than anything. Last year had a good crowd over 700,000 and a lot of emotion, a lot of excitement over Spaceship One and the Global Flyer. Mm-hmm. The whole replaying of the Ansari X Prize victory for uh, for the uh, Rutan crude scale composites, Paul Allen, and all that, but I don't remember anything really sticking out other than those things from 2005. This year, the crowd seemed to be genuinely fired up. They they, they came here because they they came there because they needed to get away from the world, all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world. Fuel prices off the scale. What the hell? Let's go to Oshkosh. The crowd was down. But the whole buzz factor thing seemed like it was up. The Beach Boys concert on opening night, we had the F-22 Raptor come in and try to make, you know, half the crowd deaf in a 20-minute display. (laughs) Uh, The the Blue Angels, their number seven uh, demo plane came in with a couple of uh, officers, stayed the whole week, and then the last day... The whole flotilla came in and picked up the number seven airplane, did a few nice flybys, some precision formation, nothing radical, and they were gone. In between, we had the C-17 fly, B-1B, do some noise making, a lot of really good entertainment, and a huge amount of industry news. Cessna there with two new airplanes, one flying, one a concept that probably will, the LSA. Eclipse got a provisional type certificate. It's not quite the full boat, but, you know, they pulled off generating a lot of excitement out of that. Honda announced they were going into the jet business and had the airplane there all week and flew it for the for the crowds one day. Diamond brought its D-Jet, created a big buzz. It came in in the morning, sat on the ramp, met the administrator, flew in the afternoon, boom, back to Canada for test flights.
1: Would you yeah, say Canada. the... Uh, would you excuse me for interrupting? Would you say the quality was better this year versus quantity
2: last year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, the big gun stuff with Steve Fawcett and and uh, 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 Benny and, and Rutan and all that uh, was certainly exciting, but it wasn't the whole show, and it couldn't fill the yeah. whole show. And this year we had all this stuff: new products, new airplanes, new visitations, first time appearances spread out through the whole week, and it just seemed like that buzz, that uh, electricity stayed high the whole and it did it in, in spite of some pretty nasty weather a few days. Yeah. So all in all, you know, if I was going to rate it as an experience on a 1 to 10 scale, 2005 would have been about an 8.8. This year it would be about a 9.5. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. We had a good time, I guess, didn't we?
2: Yeah, we did. That's what I remember of it. That's great. Well, and I've been going back through a bunch of the photographs the last few days because I'm getting ready to exhibit uh, a, a show from air shows, primarily this year's Oshkosh, some last year, some Sun and Fun. That I've been kind of visually reliving AirVenture 2006 over the last three days. You know, it was just a lot that went on there. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move on here and let's talk about one thing that you kind of alluded to, and that's the whole gas prices thing. What, what are Avgas prices like in, in you guys' necks of the wood?
1: Well, they've more or less stabilized, flattened out, if you will. Um, I, I haven't really even priced uh, what my local FBO is selling Avgas for. I paid 4 bucks and change over the weekend in South Georgia, and that seemed to be a few cents a gallon less than what I paid earlier in the year, May, I believe. So now, you know, that's that's a sampling of one, and that gets you, you know, that 50 cents gets you a cup of coffee. But it does seem to me that, that prices have stabilized, and that putting that aside, though, I think the initial shock of of what I would consider, you know, I think, historically high have gas prices has worn off and i think i know one gentleman here locally who earlier in the summer with gas prices and and some other complications decided he's going to sell his airplane outright and uh although he hasn't to my knowledge made a firm decision not to it does seem like he's going to hang on to it anyway i'm sure that that uh, that initial shock that that the idea of spending 5 bucks a gallon for avgas uh, had a lot to do with that. And now that he's perhaps become more accustomed to it, the idea of hanging onto the airplane uh, sounds better.
0: Mm-hmm. Dave, you have any thoughts on the whole gas price situation?
2: Well, I was, I was just about to pitch in that uh, not only does it seem like prices have stabilized some, but uh, in some places they seem to be going back down again. Some of that has to be a reflection of flying falling off. And guys cutting their prices a little bit to to be a little more competitive. Once again, mm-hmm. uh, I talked to a, a good friend of mine this afternoon. Lawyer, law firm owns a small airplane. He owns a small airplane. Uh, he was complaining about current gas prices have pretty much cut out his flying for fun. Yeah. So yeah. that means. You know, now most of his flying times when he's uh, going around the state to take depositions or make appearances someplace, and a little proficiency time, but heading out to the Ponca City pancake breakfast on the first Saturday of the month. Well, if it's going to cost you a hundred bucks in a gas, hundred-dollar pancakes don't sell as well in real life as they do in the you know in the theoretical, the abstract. Right, right.
1: Yeah, I think the the, the recreational flying has dropped off. There's uh you know, obviously, uh, pockets of,
2: of difference of opinion on that. But to well, me, there's this year that just kind of, you know, has is, is come out of the blue. I've been watching this since before Oshkosh. And what great timing for the guys in the light sport business to have gas prices,
0: you yeah, know, rocketing
2: true. out of sight like this. And have a lot of guys who just want to fly for grins and giggles. You know, the, the, the Saturday $100 hamburger trip, what we were alluding to with the pancakes. But in an airplane that can cruise along on, at 120 miles an hour on three and a half or four gallons an hour, boy, that's going to look a lot more attractive right now than it did six months ago when it was like, well, now that's just a littler airplane.
0: Well, that's that's interesting. Let's... uh. Unless you have anything you want to add to that, let's move on to another, a little bit more positive, a little more upbeat subject here. Um, the, there's a news item recently that said that a new Utah airport approved by the FAA. Quoting uh, here from a story that was on the aeronews.net website, uh, the Federal Aviation Administration gave its final approval Monday to build a new airport to serve the growing city of St. George. And then uh, they quoted Senator Orrin Hatch as saying, it's Christmas in August. St. George is booming, and its airports simply can't keep up with the increased demand for much longer. A new airport, it's been my impression that there are no new airports anymore. And, uh, I mean, what do you guys think about that?
2: Well, first first off, congratulations, Utah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Somebody dotted a lot of I's, crossed a lot of T's, and worked their congressional delegation really well to, to help carry this and work the FAA really well. And there was a comp- pretty compelling argument for what St. George was facing given their current growth out there. But just in the last 10 years, there's a couple of airports that I can think of that have opened where none was before. It's so few and so far between that it almost doesn't register as a statistical blip. But it does happen. It does
1: happen. There was one here in the Washington area that opened up. It's it's been a handful of years, but it is what I would call a new airport, and that's Stafford, uh, Virginia, which is a good forty-five minute drive south of uh, Washington D.C. itself. It's a nice little facility. I've I've gone in and out of there. I've never driven to it, uh, so I can't really tell you exactly how to get there, but I can find it from the air on occasion. Uh, and it's uh, again, it's a nice facility. I think one distinction between Stafford, for example, and and the St. George, Utah facility. St. George's is, is clearly an air carrier airport, and the Stafford facility is not. Although certainly uh, uh, certain certain types of carrier operations could could be conducted at Stafford, I think the idea that here there's a brand new air carrier airport put in place to serve a community or a region uh, of a of a state that uh, is growing, I think that's a great thing. We need more of it, obviously. It's perhaps a case study in how a community, how the city fathers in that community can get together and decide, yeah, we need we need easy access to air transportation. We don't want to have to drive to or commute to, to Salt Lake or to
2: uh, Provo or some other location just to be able to get on an airliner. Mm-hmm. Of course, to keep it in check, the trickle of new airports don't begin to match the annual loss that we seem to continue. That's, that's, to that's also true. That's also true. Uh, you know, to, to balance out the, the good news about St. George, I saw an ad in uh, the, in the uh, GA News today about a guy, a guy in New Jersey who's in a legal fight with new neighbors who are doing everything they can to get him zoned out of existence. And he's running an ad in GA News soliciting some assistance money to help him with the legal costs to keep his little country airport in business. And I get driven under by new neighbors. Mm. It's just, there's no let up in it, unfortunately. No, but there isn't. with this new form of flying, I keep coming back to this this light sport thing. Could it be the chance for general aviation to revisit the whole club airplane, co op airplane, little groups of pilots that. Buy two or three airplanes together and then maybe buy a little piece of land to fly off and on because they don't need much. Wouldn't that be a boon to the whole community?
0: That would be a great thing. But again, to be the naysayer, to be the devil's advocate here, is the new aviation, you know, world going to allow these kinds of things to exist? For example, Jeb, you're talking about this new airport in the, uh, in the, you know, sort of extended. DC area, how badly tangled is that going to be up in the, the ADAS and all these new regulations? Well, it's, regulations?
1: it's, it's interesting. Um, the airport was in existence long before the ADAS was created. The, one of the reasons I was in that airport recently was to do some training, do some tailwheel training, actually, with a guy. The airplane is is based inside the ADAS. So we got in the airplane and flew it outside the ADAS, went to Stafford because it was. The closest good facility for what we wanted to do, and did our thing, and, and went back into the 80s and landed. The uh, I think Dave makes a good point or raises an interesting scenario anyway, relative to whether this the LSA phenomenon. I'm going to call it a phenomenon right now because I I think it's pretty much an unproven market. Whether that will engender the kinds of of clubs and atmosphere if you will, that we all like to think of when we think of general aviation. We think of uh, flying for pure fun as opposed to business or personal transportation. Will what we would like to see come to pass, in fact, come to pass? I don't know. I've got my fingers crossed. I think the jury is is, uh, not even close to coming in on that point, though.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. We've got a long proving time to go, and... Need a whole lot of bodies and a whole lot of time, where we don't stub our toe with this new thing, right? And,
1: and you know, wearing my hat as, as as editor of Aviation Safety Magazine, I I have to wonder what the safety record is going to be like. I'm, I'm not you know trying to to uh, be a naysayer or anything, but I, I I am concerned in that arena, not so much of the aircraft being a problem, and and not so much that the the, the training, uh, uh, shall we say, the uh, reduced training requirements uh, would be a problem, but perhaps a combination of the two, and and perhaps uh, instilling in in people the idea that, yeah, this is is fun, while not instilling in them the idea that you can hurt yourself doing this, engaging in this activity. I, I don't know. It will be an interesting uh, thing to watch, and, you know, I've got my fingers crossed. I'm just, the first time that we have a situation where someone like um, JFK Jr. is a, a kind of a, a gold standard example, but first time we have someone that gets hurt badly or, in fact, gets killed in an LSA, and that's a name-brand individual, the industry is going to see a lot of scrutiny that it did not want. And, of course, Jack oh, is looking for a segue. We, we could say the same thing about VLJs, too. But, you know, again, aviation is, is a lot of fun. It's it's an important industry. It's a great way to travel. It's a great way to do business. But it can be unforgiving. And people without, without that knowledge or without that extra uh, measure of caution, they get involved in, in light support aircraft.
2: They may be in for a, a surprise. But my impression, we, right, you have yeah. got to have it happen first. We've got to have Swells of new people come in from the outside because mm-hmm. the way it looks right now, the the people m- who are most drawn to LSAs already have a ticket. Well, that was my that was my the point I was about to make is uh,
1: so far it seems like the people most drawn to LSAs, as Dave puts it, uh, are people who want to reduce the cost of flying what what I might call an other, otherwise certified aircraft. <laughs> By even buying a sky, even buying a Skyhawk and and uh, getting it through an annual and learning to fly it and that sort of thing—that's that's not a proposition for the faint of heart. And hopefully the LSAs will, will make that much more palatable. But also, hopefully, and, and uh, I think the industry is is really putting some of its hopes on this. Hopefully, the the LSA phenomenon will attract people
2: who might otherwise not have been attracted to aviation. Yeah, because we need it because the news on student starts right now is as bad as mm-hmm. it's been in a decade. We are not bringing in people yeah. near the rate that we should be. We're about half off in student starts from just three or four years ago.
0: And why do you uh, think that is?
2: You know, that's a that's what a bloody good question.
1: I've got I got uh, I got a two word answer for that question, and the two yeah.
0: words are
1: air conditioning. <laughs> uh, you, you, all right, you, quite, quite simply somebody who's got the bucks to go out and buy an airplane or the bucks to go out and learn to fly he could buy a, a, a sailboat he could buy an RV uh, he could buy a vacation home if he wants to go buy an airplane he can certainly do that and learn to fly it for, for not roughly the same amount of change but Hot summer days, it's not air conditioned, and he's going to be sitting there wondering, why am I doing this when I could be, you know, out on a sailboat or something? It's it's certainly by no means the only factor, but it is a consideration I think for a lot of people. Mm-hmm.
0: The average general aviation
2: airplane is simply not air conditioned. I wonder at the combined effect of uh, things like the uh, misperception that it's harder to fly now because of 911. Not in general aviation, particularly. There's more TFRs that you got to watch out for and steer around. But in general, flying GA for the private individuals hasn't changed much since nine one one in Nor no, has it. But there's a lot of people out there that think that GA is is stuck with some of the same constraints, security constraints that the airline passenger is. And then there's the whole thing with job security in the airline business awareness of the number of jobs in business aviation that seem to just keep getting better every time the airline industry takes another hit. You know, I wonder if the combined impact of all those things doesn't have an impact on student starts, Embry-Riddle's. Well, you know, it might,
0: and it may well be that 9-11 and all those kinds of things, which really, in my view, are hurting general aviation a lot right now, and they may have contributed to the fact that student starts is down. But remember, we've had problems with not having a, a lot of new students for years. I mean, I've been yeah. trying for 12, yeah. 15 years. Right. It's always been a problem. And in my view, here's my two-word reason for it all. Well, not two words, but is, is that the FBOs are just terrible marketers. You know, I mean, the average FBO does a terrible job of telling the story of aviation and of introducing uh, it let's to, get the to the community. The,
2: the general aviation manufacturers community isn't quite putting its shoulder into new pilot recruitment now like it was 2 or 3 years ago. Be a pilot is kind of out there rudderless right now. Drew Steckedy left at the end of his last contract and and you know they're still doing some stuff but it doesn't have the impact that it did when Drew was there and he was actively pursuing programs and donations and spending money on TV ads. The other thing is that the GA community's never really Risen to the level of commitment that it had in the '70s, when they had a learn-to-fly girl that flew all around the country in different mm-hmm. Gamma members' airplanes and had little seminars and showed off, you know, the Cessnas and the uh, the, the Skyhawks and the, and the Cherokees and at events at FBOs that were populated by people that were on a mailing list, just having enough money to buy an airplane.
0: AOPA and uh, EAA for years have had programs to try and uh, uh, you know make it easier for people to start flying, These learn to fly, and AOPA has gotten a new one. They've just they're publicizing and more
2: right? power to them and God bless them. But it doesn't carry the same weight as mass marketing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know,
2: the uh, both of those programs depend on members knowing somebody interested in flying and getting involved with them. Whether it's the Young Eagles thing and bringing kids into to fly, mm-hmm. which is a kind of long-term commitment that the community needed when when uh, EAA started that in what 90, 92, 93, and AOPA's mentor pilot, it's back for a new round. You know they're they're putting some money and some effort into it. But again, it's one of those things that depends on direct contact between an AOPA member interested in mentoring and somebody. Interested in learning to fly. Yeah. What about the rest of the people who don't know an AOPA member, who don't know an EAA pilot?
0: Let's do our little part here. Let's assume that there are some people listening to this podcast who are not existing pilots. They're just interested in aviation. What should a person who's fascinated do to get started?
1: Well, the first thing that he or she should do would, would be to go out to their local airport perhaps armed uh, with some research from the AOPA uh, website or the EAA website, and and the URLs there are are www.aopa.org and www.eaa.org. Look around those websites for the the Learn to Fly information. But he or she should also get out to the local airport and talk to uh, uh, the flight training organizations out there, which segues into one of my kind of, uh, I guess, pet peeves, if you will, with... With FBOs and in-flight training organizations, is they are not necessarily inviting places for people to go, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, sometimes the the student starts don't translate well, or they don't they don't stick with it. People uh, um, perhaps are, are interested in seeing their money go into a business that has a little bit more than a sheet metal tin roof and some weather-beaten boards for walls. I know that's not. The, the, the typical FBO, but the, the typical FBO is not a Starbucks either, and it's not as clean and as flashy and as well-maintained and as, as modern as perhaps it could be or should be. To attract the kind of individual who's got the money and the time to take that it takes to learn to fly, the FBOs really need to clean up their act a little bit. I, I see a lot of that happening in, in, in some areas, but I see a lot more of it not happening. And it's professional professionalism thing, for lack of a better term.
2: Typical FBO we've encountered over the years has been a curious mix. Let's just say particularly the last five years. has been a curious mix of World War II architecture, particularly temporary building architecture, and 21st century satellite technology. That's yeah. where you go into an FBO and are lucky enough to see a DTN machine or uh, a tap weather machine, you know, the... Uh, the desktop computer with an outside satellite link to the world and weather. And which, you know, you're lucky if the
1: computer works, and you're lucky if it was made in the last five years, and and, yep. and all that is. And I certainly understand that that costs money and 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 whatnot. But
2: they they they, they you're lucky if the printer works, but the folks back there are barely scratching out a living in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I, I understand their plight. That it's hard to. Put money into a business that's not making you enough money to cover what you're putting in. Boy, to grow off at center, you got to put that money in and make it more attractive. You've got to do a little marketing. you got to make your people smile and be inviting. And when somebody new shows up, assume they're there to learn to fly.
0: Yeah, but would you say this? And I agree, and I and that is a real problem. It's part of what I was saying about bad marketing is is that they're not very inviting. They don't present a very positive, friendly face to to the person who's walking in the door. But would you say, and I think it's true that once you get across the threshold, once you break through that shell or whatever, however you want to characterize it, they're pretty nice people out there. And oh, and, absolutely. And, you know, and that once you make connection,
2: once once you're accepted as somebody serious about it, not just dropping in because it's it, it's something that you always wanted to do, scratch that one off. There's really no warmer, more accepting, and more exclusive little club to belong to than aviators. Sure. Right.
0: So if you're interested, make the effort, break through that scary. Threshold, and, and it's a good thing. And uh, am I right?
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. See the world from a whole new
0: perspective. That's right. That's exactly true. You know, I mean, you're going to buy your little LS airplane, and you and your buddies are going to get a little piece of pasture. Uh, I I love that, Dave. Your little uh, you know kind of romantic view of it. That's I think that's awesome. I think that would be a great way for things to to great direction for, for things to head in. So. Uh, you know what? We're running out of time here. We, and there was a couple things. You know, real quickly, one of the things we need to figure out is if we're going to do this podcast on a regular basis, and I'd like to, it needs a name. And I don't know if we're going to invent a name right here on the spot, but I, do you guys have any thoughts on what we might call it, the uh, I don't know what?
2: Well, first off, if anybody should actually hear this, let's imagine just <laughs> you, you know, I mean, since we've got a staff of the totally unqualified advising without – portfolio let's have the listeners offer up some suggestions we'll come up with some ones of our own and revisit this on our next installment it's not a
0: bit okay all right. Well, then what I'm going to do is, and you guys won't hear this tonight, but I'm going to actually tag a little uh, goodbye message on at the end, and I'm going to put an email address in there that people can send in their ideas to. Well, you can send any kind of feedback, for that matter. But, cool. but if anybody has an idea of what this podcast ought to be called, why don't you uh, send it into that email address, and you'll hear that in just a few minutes. Good idea. Uh, so. And when, when is the next installment? Well, that, that was my next question. How often would you guys <laughs> like to do this? You know, I mean, a lot of people are doing these kinds of podcasts weekly. I'm not sure if that's very practical, although I'd give it a shot. I would love to see us do it at least every other week.
2: That that sounds like a good place to start.
0: Yeah. Every other week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then why don't we shoot to uh, gather again on telephone in uh, a couple of weeks, uh, give or take. It doesn't have to be. This is not like network television where it's got to be, you know, on Tuesday night every week. So we'll uh,
2: maybe a different bat time, same bat station. That's right.
0: And the last thing I wanted to kind of broach with you guys is, uh, although we've done great tonight, I think this has been cool, and this is as good as I had had ever hoped it would be. I think it would be cool if we added one or two more voices on you know, on an occasional basis. Uh, And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on who you know in the industry, I mean, who might be, you know, sort of guest podcasters with us here. Any names you want to throw out right now?
1: I can think of of several people who would be interested in coming on as... As guests, I'd like to maybe think about another regular also. I don't know. Uh, I don't yeah, have
0: okay. anybody in mind. Dave, you have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think the idea of maybe snagging some topically relevant folks to come in and chat with us from time to time is, is, is a good way to think about growing beyond the three of us. But until we have some foundation to claim that anybody actually hears this, why don't we see how it works with the three of us? Mm-hmm. And if people actually hear this and say, no, 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 we want more voices, put that in an email, too.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, the topics that someone might want to hear us pontificate on, as well as a name for this, future guests, uh, all of that is fair game.
0: That's right. Absolutely. Send your Absolutely. feedback.
2: There is nothing that we don't know anything about that we can't expound on.
1: That's right. And if we don't if we don't know anything about it, it hasn't stopped us in the past.
2: Never has. As a matter of fact, people have made entire careers based on the same qualifications.
0: There was right. a great great old uh, radio announcer here in Boston uh, when I was a kid. Who's one of his lines was He says, ask me a question any any question. I'll give you a snappy answer. It may not be right, but it'll be quick.'
2: That's right.
0: So. <laughs> Hey, listen, guys, thank you very much. I really, I, I'm, this has just been terrific, and I look forward to doing it again. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's fine. Jeb fun. Burnside yeah. with uh, Aviation... Well, uh, you better say it because I'll get it wrong. Aviation Safety Magazine. Magazine. Uh, yeah. And AvWeb and a bunch of other things. And Dave Higdon of uh, DaveHigdon.com. And, uh, uh, and his, his <laughs> awesome uh, aviation and commercial photography business. Thanks a lot. You guys take care. You too.
2: Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. with me, let's float down to Peru.
0: You can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at aroundthefield.net. Come fly with me, let's take off in the blue. Once I get you up there, where the air is rarefied, we'll Just like.